Invite you to join me in Gasho. Gasho onegashimasu. Obstructions of karmic evil turn into virtues. It is like the relation of ice and water. The more the ice, the more the water. The more the obstructions, the more the virtues. Oh, good morning, everyone. Wonderful to see everybody here on Zoom. Oh, I've got a full screen and then some of people with their cameras on. It's always uh, wonderful to see uh, folks if you're if you're comfortable switching on your camera. It's great to see your uh, smiling face here uh, Sunday mornings. Uh, it's been a couple weeks since I've uh, been able to, uh, we've had a kind of a regular service where I've been here, so uh, it's nice to be uh, back into uh, what I feel like is the regular routine. We're continuing on with our study of the Four Noble Truths. This is kind of considered to be the uh, core teaching of Buddhism. Uh, of course, Buddhism has many traditions, and uh, the teachings of these traditions express the Dharma in some uh, kind of diversity of ways, but there's this common uh, core perspective of Buddhism, and one way in which that is expressed is through these uh, Four Noble Truths. Uh, today, uh, we'll be moving on to talk about the Second Noble Truth. Up to this point, since uh, September, we've been taking uh, our time going through and looking at the First Noble Truth, which is often described in English as the truth of suffering, uh, it's the truth of you know, stress and disappointment, um, you know, difficulty and challenges. I think we've experienced a lot of that in the past year. Um, and yet, the Buddha also teaches that from that suffering, there's a possibility of realizing liberation, realizing peace of mind. But in order to do that, we need to look at the cause of the suffering cause of the suffering. And so uh, we'll, for the next few weeks, uh, we'll be looking into this uh, Buddhist perspective on what is the cause of suffering. Uh, today, uh, we'll talk about one of the basic causes of suffering, which is clinging, holding on to, 
Uh, sometimes it's, uh, talk, people talk about greed, wanting more and more. Once you've got something, you don't want to let it go. So we're going to talk about that and how that can uh, cause some difficulties in our lives and how we can be free, uh, free of that. So the Buddha's teachings are uh, very logical. The Buddha himself, uh, as a teacher, is often likened to a good doctor. You may have uh, heard me talk about this before. The, good, the Buddha is like a good doctor in that, think about it, if you go to the doctor, if you're not feeling well or you're having some health problem, you go visit the doctor. The first thing the doctor tries to figure out is what's wrong? What's the problem? What's really the problem? Right? What's really the problem? So oh, I don't feel so good. So the doctor will ask very specific questions. Well, you say you don't feel so good. Does your head hurt? Does your stomach hurt? Right? And narrowing it down to understand what is, what's, really, what's really the problem. Right? The Buddha does that. What's really the problem that we're facing in life? Right? And then having identified that problem, says, well, what is the cause of that? What's, what's making you feel that way? Right? You have to do that. That's the next step. The Buddha looks very closely at our lives and he says, okay, well, the problem, problem is that everybody has some kind of uh, suffering, dissatisfaction, difficulty. There's a Sanskrit word, dukkha, that we use, dukkha. Right? Uh, some people say it's like a wheel that's not quite on center. If you've ever been to the grocery store and you're going down the aisle and the, uh, the, the cart is, has a little bit of a wobbly wheel and it keeps banging you into the Cheerios as you're trying to get down the aisle, get down to your destination. Right? So we've got that, that problem, this, this dissatisfaction. Things don't go smoothly. Reverend Ken Tanaka says life is a bumpy road. Right? So where do we find the source of that? One of those... One of those sources is our clinging on to things, clinging on to things. So the Buddha has recognized, it's like the good doctor, why, what's the problem? What's your illness? What's your ailment? What's causing it? Clinging, grasping onto, right? And then the doctor tries to figure out, well, how, how, how do you want to feel? How do we want you to be? What's the realistic possibility, right? Maybe, uh, you know, if you have a stomach ache, well, how can we make your stomach feel better, right? If you have a cold, if your body has lots of bacteria or viruses, well, how can we get rid of those? Or how can we help your body to get rid of them, right? So the Buddha says, okay, what do we, how do we want to feel, right? We want to feel at peace. We want to feel at peace. The problem, suffering. The cause, clinging. The goal, to be at peace. How do we get there? The Buddha provides a path, a path of his teachings, the Dharma, the wise teachings, things like the Eightfold Path, the Six Paramitas, the teachings that are described in the sutras, the Nembutsu. We have these teachings that are our path. So a few weeks ago, um, I was uh, sharing with you, uh, talking about how when I was uh, much younger, much younger, um, I really wanted to get a car. I thought I needed a car to be happy. I needed a car to have peace of mind. <clears throat> this was when I was 16 years old, just got my driver's license. Right? And also, um, the, uh, as, I got, uh, as I got older and you know, wanted this car, my parents said, you should 
save up your own money, get your own car, right? Pay for it yourself. I learned to be very much at peace and happy with a bicycle, with a bicycle, right? That brought me lots of peace of mind, having a bicycle. I learned to be happy with my bicycle. As I got even older, uh, I wound up living uh, in Southern California when I first became a minister. Has anybody here ever lived in Southern California, Los Angeles, or visited maybe, visited to have some family or friends down there? It's very difficult to live in Southern California without a car. Uh, one of, I think, the most challenging places in the world uh, to live without a car, right? And so um, I thought, okay, got a car. I, Got a car, and I'm going to take my car everywhere I need to go. One of the places that I needed to go from time to time was to the airport, LAX, Los Angeles International Airport. Anybody ever been to LAX? Uh, it's a different kind of animal. SFO is a big airport, but LAX is just a, a, a kind of another scale altogether. So, you know, I would have to drive down through Los Angeles traffic. I would have to find a place to park to park my car. There's lots of places to park. But I have to go to this parking garage, find the parking garage, have to, you know, pay for the parking. I'd have to get on a shuttle and then go to the airport. It would take me about three hours to get from my house to the airport. With all the traffic and everything I had to go through, this was stressful. This was dukkha for me. So stressful. So, ah, oh, the, the difficulty, the frustration. I need to get to my flight on time. Uh, all of these things. And I kept thinking like, oh, this is so difficult, but I've got to do it. I've got to drive there. I've got to have my car. And then one day while I was waiting uh, at the airport, I was uh, waiting for the shuttle to come and pick me up and take me to the, the car uh, parking lot where then I would take my car to get to the, uh, my home, right? And so I'm waiting for the shuttle and I see this shuttle bus drive, ride, drive by and it says Ventura County Airport. I live in Ventura County. On the side, it says to Oxnard Airport. Oxnard Airport was next to my house. It was literally a three-minute walk from my house to the Oxnard Airport. It was right there. Maybe not three minutes, but it was very close. It was a walkable distance. And so I thought, wait a second. Does that really go to the Oxnard Airport? So immediately I pulled out my phone and I Googled it, right? And it says, sure enough, Oxnard Airporter leaving every hour from the Oxnard Airport. And I thought, wait a second. I could be riding the bus instead of driving my car. So I let go of the car. And then next uh, trip I had, I was going up to Portland, uh, Portland, Oregon for a guest speaking. I was going up to Portland and you can't fly out of Burbank. You have to fly out of LAX to get up to Portland conveniently. And so I said, okay, I'm going to take this bus, got on the bus, drove right down PCH, right down the coast through Malibu, one of the most beautiful stretches of highway, I think, in America, right? You've got the, the mountains, Santa Monica Mountains on to your left, to the right side, it's a beautiful Pacific Ocean, you can see dolphins and whales and surfers, it's wonderful, beautiful ride, uh, you know, got there, uh, enjoyed my, uh, got on my flight, went to Portland, came back, and just, oh had this relaxed experience, realized, letting go, being carried along, carried along by this van. I could read a book, I could prepare my Dharma talk for uh, the, the, the guest speaking I was doing, I could nod off and take a nap. All these things I couldn't be doing if I was stressed out in the car, right? Letting go, being carried
carried along, and carried along, right? And so uh, the way back, I got home late Sunday night, again, tired, exhausted, but happy I didn't have to drive. I got on the, uh, this airporter shuttle, taking me back home uh, to Oxnard, and the driver was listening to the radio then. He was listening to the President of the United States. This was in 2012. So maybe you remember who the President of the United States was back then. Uh, President of the United States, it was in the middle of an election, right? He, was, he had just finished his first term, was up for re-election. And he was saying, he was saying, the, the interviewer is being interviewed, and the interviewer asked him, you know, you've had a lot of trouble, you've had a lot of resistance from Congress to your agenda uh, these past couple years. You had a good first two years. After that, you know, parties switched and had a hard time. You know, how do you feel, you know, about, you know, the next term if you get reelected? And he said something which I thought was really Buddhist. He said, you know, it was made very clear from the start when I was elected that the other party that they said very clearly that their goal was that I should have one term. They didn't want me to get reelected. I'm now up for reelection. So if I lose this election, that's totally fine. Then we can carry on and you know they'll have uh, you know the, the objective have been met and then you know we can carry on as a country, pull together and we'll have uh, you know they'll be able to accomplish their agenda and our government will run smoothly. He said, if I win the election, then that goal of not having me get reelected is passed. That'll be the time when we can pull together and we can work to harmoniously work together and the country will run smoothly. Right? So those of you who remember the 2012 election, you'll remember the result. The president did get reelected. <clears throat> but as I look back, that was almost 10 years ago. I don't remember the country pulling together. I don't remember uh, realizing this sort of harmonious state where everything was uh, you know, working smoothly. Um, I don't somehow remember that happening. And I think that perhaps that's because although you know, the election, there was, uh, you know, the result was clear, the people voted, clear election, but the underlying problems, the underlying difficulties that people faced had not changed. The suffering was there, but the cause had not been addressed for many people. For many people, the difficulty had not been addressed. And the challenges, right, continued. Challenges continued. And so, you know, uh, just, you know, uh, after that, at the end of uh, that president's term, someone asked him, you know, looking back on your second term, you know, do you, how, what do you think? How do you respond to, you know, the challenges you've continued to face even after you got reelected? And he said, well, I underestimated the uh, extent of the tribalism, how strong tribalism. Tribalism means each person has their own group. They cling to their ideas, you know, my group, my ideas, on both, you know, both sides of any issue. Right? Underestimated that. And you know, he had had some, some learning. And listening to that, I thought, yeah, I think that's true. Um, you, know, you can not change someone else's thinking very easily. You can't control other people in the way that they think. You can only really direct your own mind in a certain direction, in a certain destination, right? So in order to realize peace of mind, the first step is to look within what is the cause of my frustrations, 
my stress and to understand that, to look deeply and then to think about what can I do? How can I direct my mind to realize peace of mind? So for those of us who seek peace of mind, and I have a feeling that if you're with us here this morning, you're seeking peace of mind in this life. Right? Uh, this past week we had an inauguration, and many people feel a deep sense of peace of mind now that we have a new uh, president in office. Other people are still carrying deep frustrations, anger, difficulties. Right? They feel that they're misunderstood, that they're misrepresented. Right? Both of these perspectives, all of these perspectives, are valid for those individuals who are living them, right? If we're gathered here looking for peace of mind, we're looking to direct our minds, to find that vehicle that will carry us through. What is it that we need to let go of? What is it that will carry us along, that will take us on that smooth and comfortable journey to our home in the world of peace and bliss. Right? So we look to the teachings of the Buddha. We have this nembutsu that can carry us moment to moment, right? Whatever we're feeling in that moment, right? feelings come up. We, I, I notice it myself. You know, things come up, even though uh, situations have changed from you know eight years ago from four years ago from last week, I often carry the same feelings from the past. I still carry that with me, right? The frustrations, the irritations, right? I remember the good, pleasurable experience. I chase after those, and I, I want to hold on to them. It keeps popping up in my mind. Every moment it pops up. Namu Amida Butsu, Namu Amida Butsu. If I hear the Nembutsu, then gradually that hold, it, it loosens that grip that my greed, uh, my selfishness, my clinging has on my mind, it loosens. It's loosened by the wisdom and compassion of Amida Buddha. So letting the Nambutsu flow in our minds helps us to let go, to be carried along to this world of peace and bliss, to really be able to listen to each other, believe that if we're going to have a community where we're at peace, where we're really working together, we need to listen to each other. We need to be able to let go of our own perspective, our own thinking, and be able to understand and appreciate someone else's perspective. That's the essence of compassion and wisdom from the Buddhist tradition. And so the more often that we notice this clinging pop up, the more often the nembutsu flows into our minds. And so Shinran Chonin says it's like the relationship between ice and water. The more this clinging pops up, the more potential there is for the nembutsu to flow in, to melt that ice into the wisdom, the light of wisdom, the flowing water of compassion, right? So the more uh, we have that, those feelings, we notice those feelings of frustration, irritation, um, you know, uh, impatience rising up, the more opportunity there is for the Buddha's wisdom to flow into our hearts. And so we can be even grateful in those moments, grateful to notice that we have 
the Buddha's wisdom and compassion embracing us, carrying us along. So this is how I find peace in the Nembutsu, in these challenging times that we live through. The challenges are you know, going to continue. We're in a situation now in, on many levels, both our, our conversations, our, our national kind of mood as a country, the difficulties of this pandemic, the frustrations will continue to pop up, but we have the Nembutsu that's going to carry us through this, carry us uh, ultimately to the life of peace and bliss. And so I'm grateful to all of you for coming together this morning so that we can hear this teachings. I know we have in our Sangha, we have a diversity of perspectives. And I, I really treasure the diversity of perspectives. The fact that we have a wide range of feelings and, and understandings and ideas about many, many things. And the, the sacred thing about this community for me is that it's illuminated by the Buddha's wisdom and compassion. It's a place where we can come together, though we have different perspectives, we share in this perspective of being guided by the wisdom and compassion of the Buddha. We work together. And I think that this Sangha is a model for what our community, what our country, and what the world can be uh, if we allow the Nembutsu to flow in our lives. So uh, with that spirit, uh, I'll conclude my talk. Uh, I invite you to join me in Gashō. Let's once again hear these words of Shinnan Shoni. Obstructions of karmic evil turn into virtues. It is like the relation of ice and water. The more the ice, the more the water. The more the obstructions, the more the virtues. Namu Amida Butsu, Namu Amida Butsu, Namu Amida Butsu, Namam Dabuts, 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 Namam Dabuts,